YouTubers, thrill seekers, small gerbils, and people named Bob or Robert. Greetings and hello. It is I, your favorite obscure social studies teacher with just enough expertise to make things interesting, Mr. Palumbo. And this is the Professor Liberty Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. You know, as always, I really appreciate it. Don't forget to you know, whatever platform you're listening to this on, if there's a way to review it, give me five stars, write a review, whatever it is you can do to further the message, to proclaim liberty throughout the land. If you like Professor Liberty, my future is in your hands. That kind of rhymed. So please don't hesitate. Share this podcast with your friends, your family, your coworkers, your communist cousin who's still in college. There was a lot of C's right then. If you'd like to email the show, the email is ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. That's ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. Okay, well, I hope everyone had a fun and safe 4th of July holiday. I hope everyone still has their fingers, and I hope no one got hurt during the various firework shows you know, man, fireworks are becoming the rich man's activity, aren't they? Man, they're expensive. I think the last time I bought fireworks was maybe two years ago, and I dropped like 200 bucks easy, and I didn't even buy the good ones or the illegal ones. I hear they're even more expensive this year because of inflation, you know, the inflation that is ravaging the nation. You know, the inflation that the government caused, the same government that said it wasn't going to be a problem. But hey, I hear gasoline is down seven cents and the media is telling us peasants, we should be celebrating this. So, yay. All right. I got a good show for you guys today. I kind of stumbled on this and I think it's really uh, bearing some fruit. Today, I want to talk about Ben Franklin and his quest to better himself. Today's show is called Ben Franklin's 13 Virtues. So we're going to define a lot of terms today, but I think uh, some solid points are going to be made, especially when comparing society back in old Ben's time versus society today. Because, you know, back in old Ben's time, they're just a bunch of white, racist, uh, you know, misogynists. And today we're the enlightened ones. But I think I'm going to show you in many cases that is not how it is. And we are turning into the barbarians. So strap in, find a seat. <laughs> you know, every time I say find a seat, there's always that student, you know, acting like the first time I heard it. Uh, Mr. Palumbo, what do you want me to do once I found my seat? Ha 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 ha. Anyway, get comfortable and let's learn something. So before we get uh, into the 13 virtues, we got to dive into the background of why Ben Franklin listed or even cared about these virtues in the first place. And to start there, let's discuss what is a virtue. And I've talked about this on other episodes. A virtue is defined as a characteristic considered morally good or desirable. A good or useful quality of a thing. So think the virtues of America, the virtues of capitalism, the virtues of being a good mom or a good dad, stuff like that. Well, in 18th century America, and as well as most of Europe, virtue was still seen as a good thing, something good. Having virtue was still a positive thing. 
Now, this, does, this doesn't mean everybody was, in fact, virtuous, but the concept was still esteemed in those times. Men and women sought to be honorable, and they strove to better themselves. This longing for virtue has mixed underpinnings. Uh, you know, by the 18th century, most of the West was still devoutly Christian, but the ideas of the Enlightenment were well entrenched during that time. And the Enlightenment, though not exclusively anti-religion, it certainly, depending on the person you study and read, there was definitely a love-hate relationship. The Enlightenment taught that a man could improve society through reason and thought. And many staunch Enlightenment believers thought that reason is all one needs to improve society or solve a problem. The other underpinning, the other foundation for the lauding of virtue was, as I mentioned a moment ago, Christianity, religion. All throughout the Bible, there are commands and encouragements to become better people, virtuous people. Now, the Bible uses the word righteous in most cases. And in 18th century America, where the only new things you could read, consistently new things you could read, were either a newspaper, if you could find one, or a weekly sermon, it's safe to say that people were that living in those times were getting a heavy dose of Christian teaching about trying to be good and better versions of themselves. And in fact, this brings us to Ben Franklin and in his autobiography. This is where we get the list of his virtues. Franklin, in his autobiography, admits that he got the idea of making the virtues after attending church. Now, he, he admits that he rarely goes to church. He did support his local Presbyterian congregation financially, and he considered the pastor of his local church a personal friend, though he didn't think the pastor's preaching was very good. Franklin discusses how one day after listening to a sermon based on Philippians chapter 4, let me read that to you, Philippians chapter 4, it reads, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such thing. Well, Franklin was impressed with this verse of Scripture, but he didn't really like how the pastor used it. Franklin said that the pastor said that this verse only implied to do the following things. Keep the Sabbath, read your Bible, attend church, uh, participate in the sacraments, and support your church financially. And Ben wasn't impressed with this narrow list. In his autobiography, Ben writes, quote, These might all be good things but as they were, not the kind of good things that I expected from the text, unquote. Mr. Franklin continues that he was so disgusted with this list and the interpretation of this verse, he never attended that church again. In his autobiography, he continues, quote, It was about this time I conceived the bold and arduous project of arriving at moral perfection. I wished to live without committing any fault at any time. I would conquer all that either natural inclination, custom, or company might lead me into. As I knew or thought I knew, 
what was right and wrong. I did not see why I might not always do the one and avoid the other, but I soon found I had undertaken a task of more difficulty than I ever imagined, unquote. Now let's just stop right there for a moment. Never mind the fact that Mr. Franklin vowed to never attend that church again. In the text, I can't tell if he just means that church or church in general. Or let's forget the fact that his personal Christian beliefs were somewhat suspect. Tell me who today even tries to do this. Which one of our government leaders tries to make a list of characteristics that they want to have? No one cares about this stuff anymore. And certainly no one even spends one minute even considering it. And another point I'd like to add is, doesn't this show at least a societal benefit of Christianity? Oh, oh, Mr. Palumbo, we're a strictly secular nation, Mr. Palumbo. Church and state, Mr. Palumbo. Church and state. I'm not saying we should turn America into a theocracy, obviously. But one wonders if Mr. Franklin would have ever had this idea to begin with, if not because he found himself in a church one day. Certainly religion has a beneficial place in society. Certainly I think it does, and the Founding Fathers thought so as well. Our government leaders are supposed to be people of virtue. They're supposed to be the better part of society. And here, recently, I think we're voting for the worst people in society. It's, it's like the exact opposite. And let's not forget that legend has it, it is Franklin, of all people, who encouraged prayer during the Constitutional Convention when tempers flared and it seemed the whole enterprise was going to crumble. Religion forces us to think of higher things, to stop thinking about ourselves all the time. And no one can convince me otherwise that as we've pushed Christianity out of society, it doesn't seem like anything good has come from it. We have more depression, more nihilism, more mass shootings, more violence, more despair. But anyways, I digress. Let me put the soapbox away. Okay, so so after some thought and after going to church, even if he was conjoled to go by his pastor that uh, he said was his friend, but he said his preaching sucked, Franklin, after some thought, Franklin was able to whittle down his list of virtues to 13. Now, some have argued that this number was a secret nod to the original 13 colonies, but it's actually more of a number of practicality. If you take the number 13, you divide it by four, what do you get? 52, which is the number of weeks in a calendar year. So Franklin wanted to work on these virtues weekly. So let's see what virtues Franklin thought would bring moral perfection. And I'm going to define each of these, and then we'll discuss them in turn. The first virtue is temperance. Temperance, especially in American history, tends to mean abstinence or resisting partaking in something, mostly alcohol. But it could be food or some other behavior. However, temperance doesn't just mean not drinking alcohol. Uh, I like to think of temperance as more along the lines of moderation. And this is going to come up a little later as well. But moderation simply means not going to extremes. The English word moderation comes from the Latin, which means medium-sized. Think about the medium-sized pizza. It's not too big. It's not too small. 
Moderation simply means don't overdo things. Don't drink too much. Don't eat too much. Don't talk too much. Don't worry too much, etc. So according to Franklin, it's a virtue to stay in the middle, to be temperate, to do not give in, not giving in to extremes, not getting so angry that you screech out like a demon on social media like some of these young people do when some political news drops and then they, you know, it's, it's news they don't agree with. So they, they literally screech out in anger. But it also don't, it means don't be so passive or apathetic that you don't even care what's going on. I mean, if you're an adult, you should be voting. I mean, it, it is a civic duty, in my opinion, a civic responsibility to vote or to at least know what your government officials are doing with the money that they're taking from your hard work and retirement. Franklin explains it this way. Eat not to dullness, drink not to elevation. So what does he mean? It means don't gorge yourself on junk food or eat into obesity. I mean, we have an obesity problem in this country, folks. Have you been to the beach lately? And it also he's, he's also saying don't drink so much that you become a raging alcoholic and make a fool out of yourself. Be temperate. Find the middle in your life. The second virtue is silence, which means quiet. The absence of talking or other sounds. Silence is a bizarre virtue, especially for us in the modern world. That's because there are noises everywhere. The cars on the streets, the humming of the appliances in your house, the cell phone notifications, the TV, the fan, the radio. Most of us, our whole lives are lived without silence. Have you ever gone camping or hiking, you know, somewhere out in the boonies? And what's the first thing you notice? It hits you like right in the face, how quiet it is. I think that kind of silence is good for us mentally and emotionally. Putting down the devices and getting away from the noise and enjoying the silence. Now, Franklin is meaning silence in another way. He's specifically referring to speech. He writes, speak not but what may benefit others or yourself. Avoid trifling conversations. Oh boy, we struggle with this one, don't we? Today's social media dominated discourse is exactly the opposite of what Ben Franklin is talking about here. All we do is talk. We spill out our lives on social media. We tell the world every detail about our private lives and we don't give any thought to personal dignity or personal privacy. And what happens? We get bullied. We get trolled. We get mocked. We get derided. You name it. After we've done all the talking about ourselves and all the weird, twisted things we're into, things that are nobody's business, we, we then turn around and start tearing people down. We get teared down. People tear us down. I still remember... Um, one of my first interactions on social media when discussing an, uh, a, a topic, I can't remember the topic because it was pointless, um, but I still remember to this day, someone who disagreed with me, they said something to the aspect of, you're the stupidest person I've ever heard, or you're the dumbest person on earth. It was something like that. I was astonished. I can't remember the topic, like I said, because it wasn't important in hindsight, but I couldn't get over, how does one person call another person the most idiotic person on earth? Someone they've never met. And am I really the stupidest person on earth because you disagree with me? What if I'm the right one and you're the wrong one? And what's even more sad, ladies and gentlemen, 
is this is the world our young people are growing up in. Never ceasing negativity via talk. Endless chatter that benefits no one. You know, one terrible custom that has that social media has brought about, among many, is this celebrating the death of a politician or someone in political power. You know, if it's someone on the right or someone on the left, both sides of the spectrum do this. And though I certainly could be more silent, I really strive to be silent when this happens. You know, when someone on the left dies, people on the right pile on, make jokes. I hope he's burning in hell. You know, people on the left do it as well. This person was evil, blah, blah, blah. I hope, you know, I'm going to piss on his grave. I mean, just terrible, terrible things. The person is dead. It benefits no one to speak ill of that person. And it really just reflects more about you than him or her. So some of you might have noticed, some of you that have followed me a long time, uh, anytime there's a death of a politician, I don't even care. I mean, if it's the president, I might make a comment. Uh, But when politicians die or people in the public arena die, I don't say anything. And you shouldn't say anything either. It benefits no one. I also, you'll hear no comments from me seconds after some national tragedy. Right after a mass shooting, for example, people flock to social media to decry the evil of guns and the evil of Republicans who harbor them. Who does that benefit? Someone's mom, someone's dad, someone's sister, someone's husband is dead. Their life is changed forever. But you want to go on social media and show how how righteous you are because you want to talk about guns. Writing about Franklin's virtue of silence, Dr. Denise Kanowowski says, quote, In our culture, silence isn't taught to be important, yet it is truly such an important virtue to possess. Perhaps it's best said in Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue. How many times do we wish we could take our words back? How many times do we wish we should have chosen silence rather than start an argument? How many times do we speak just to be heard rather than to listen and process what the person speaking to us has said? We all have heard the term, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. She goes on to say that she has a strict 90-minute silence rule first thing in the morning. No TV No music, no video game noises, just silence. She offers a quote from somebody named Publius Cirrus. Great quote. It says, I have often regretted my speech, but never my silence. The third virtue is order. Now, there's a lot of definitions to the word order. But using Franklin's commentary on this virtue, I think we can get a better clue of what he means. He writes, quote, let all of your things have their place. Let each part of your business have its time. So I think according to Franklin, order means the regular or harmonious arrangement of things. It could be time. It could be things. Uh, think like chronological order is setting up things by time. Alphabetical order is setting things up by spelling. So our lives, according to Franklin, should have some kind of order. We should leave things 
in our lives in their proper place and within their proper time. For example, work time is work time. Family time is family time. We live such busy lives focusing on work that we often neglect the other aspects of our lives. Each thing should have its place. There's a time to relax, and we should also force ourselves to do that, like when we're on vacation, for example. Our lives should have some kind of order to them. Structure is a good thing. No, structure is not some oppressive, white, capitalist, colonial, whatever you want to call it. It's not oppressive to maintain some kind of order in your life. The fourth virtue is resolution. Now, this isn't resolution as in finishing something, but it's kind of related. No, this is resolution as in being resolute. Being resolute means being determined. Franklin calls it oughtness, which I didn't know was a word. Franklin wrote about this virtue, resolve to perform what you ought. Perform without fail what you resolve. So what's old Ben saying here? I think he's saying we should determine to do what we must. And whatever we do, we should do it correctly. No cutting corners. Don't do things half-hearted. In this age of computers and automation and technology, we've completely given up on this idea of doing things the way they should be done. But think about certain things. Think about uh, not, you know, there's certain things that can't be done halfway. Can an engineer build a bridge using only, you know, estimated calculations? Can the surgeon skip steps when he's performing heart surgery? On a more basic level, how this idea of resolution speaks to me is by way of work. What I'm being paid to do. If you have a job, you're being paid to do something. Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you doing what you ought? Are you performing the job the best way you can? And this applies to stay-at-home moms or students or whatever. Whatever your current task is in life, are you resolved to do your best, to do what ought to be done? All right, there you have it, folks. I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger. Tune in next time for the rest of the 13 virtues of Ben Franklin. Think about these things. What kind of person do you want to be? Do you agree with these virtues? Do you think I'm totally insane and full of crap and I'm just a a white right-wing maniac? Whatever. I know I'm not the stupidest person on earth. I do know that. So anyway, until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. Liberty.